and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. For this episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, I've invited Greg Talley to talk about what's happening right now for large associations, many of which still depend on in-person meetings for a significant amount of their revenue. Greg is the president and CEO of the Talley Management Group, which has been in business since 1987, helping associations and nonprofit organizations succeed and flourish. He's also a self-described pandemic junkie and has been talking with epidemiologists for many years about the likelihood of a global virus and how it would affect our business and our world. So we have a lot to talk about. Welcome, Greg. How is the year starting off for your association clients? What is happening right now in your business? Yeah, so I think it's a rocky start to uh, 2022, which we were all hoping for something brighter and happier. And I think it's uh, I think the the best case scenario is this is a first quarter impact only. And after that, hey, we've got this managed. It's endemic, not something we need to worry about as much anymore in that most of our audience who's used to going to events, used to traveling. This just becomes another thing to deal with and manage, whether you've got the flu, a common cold or what have you. And off we go back again to to how we meet. That's probably best case scenario. I think the issue is kind of still what are the spillover effects of this that we still don't know yet. And that's, you know, what portion of our audience didn't like to travel, wasn't comfortable traveling, has health conditions and is still going to say, no, I'm not getting on that plane and going back to what I was doing 2019. I'm going to make other decisions. And none of us know whether that's 5% of our audience, 10% of our audience, or 40% of our audience yet right? We're not going to know that until we're kind of back to some sense of being able to measure that and we can't get there till we can start running our events again. Right. And And then the budgetary impact um, on both our suppliers, and this is globally when I'm speaking about our suppliers or our attendee base organizations. If they're, you know, one argument is there's less revenue to play with. We're not sending as many people as we did before. Another argument is, nope, the top just got blown off. And now we're going to go do everything that we did before and more. And I think we're going to wait and see which one of those scenarios plays out. Right. And for now, what we're seeing, and I think you said that your clients are seeing, they're canceling January, but hopeful for the second quarter. Yeah, I think I think a vast majority of events in January are going to get slid just because of, you know, you've got the multiple issues going right now. It's not just the issue of COVID um, and a concern about being at a meeting with COVID spreading. It's can I get there and can I get home? What am I doing about childcare right now? What about the fact that literally this next couple of weeks is going to impact every sector of our society and how we live our daily lives? And then if all that's going on, I'm not getting too far from home. Right. It's interesting because I hadn't thought about childcare, but one of the planners I talked to this week said that one of the events that she's managing isn't happening um, because people don't have childcare, whether it's people are sick or the daycares are closed and, and all yep. that. So, you know, it's just so many factors. This touches so many parts of our lives that prevent us from doing what we normally would do. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, right? The focus of this is put on two things. Number one, it's kind of like, well, what happens if the airlines aren't flying? We're dead in the water as an industry. Okay, what happens if the schools aren't 
open, right? Well, what we're finding is families can't operate. They need the stability of that school for two people to go off and work. If that doesn't happen, then we've got a whole other game going on. And I think the, the spotlight this is putting on childcare as an industry. And frankly, all of our frontline industries, but particularly those that are care related and have been, you could probably say the least paid and the least appreciated. And that may be the best thing that comes out of this is that we've got to focus on those critical aspects that again, hold this all together, that you've got dependable and affordable childcare, that you know you're going to have people in place to help with our elderly and keep them safer than they have been through the last two years. And the same with our disabled and challenged communities. We have got to have people frontline and healthcare that are able to do this, but they're going to have to be paid a living wage. Yeah. And the same for hotel service. Yep. Or- exactly. Any of the frontline. And you know what? This has been a reckoning due. You know, when the living wage kind of discussion got started in our industry, it kind of disappeared. And there was a, a few of us talking about it and said, why? Of course, you know, housekeepers should be paid a living wage. Are we willing to pay more in room rate to do that? Well, I was, and I know a number of our groups would have been willing to do that, but it seemed to disappear as an industry issue. I think this puts the spotlight right back on it again, because people have kind of stood up and said, not going to do it. So there's this macro issue about the global response to a crisis and the pandemic being kind of the lead up, we could say, for climate change. And this doesn't bode well. We've done a lousy job as a global global community of responding to this. And do I have any sense that we'd do any better next time around based on what I've seen so far? The answer to that is clearly no. I think the international associations should do a better job collaborating on the meta-messaging about the value of our industry, about the impact of our industry, but then it's got to happen at the local level where those connections have got to be made stronger. And I could, I would think out of this, be able to drive home the value and the jump start and how we're different from the festivals and everything else that everyone was so worried about to say we're a contained entity. We know who these people are. We can put restrictions into place. That's what we've learned, but we can't shut this stuff down. So, you know, I think somewhere in there is where we've got to start doing a better job. And that is at both the international association level, but then also much more important on a local level, because ultimately that's where the decisions are made. Right. Meetings can be held safely, just as a generalization. This is documented and we've reported on research that shows the base, the attendee base of a meeting tend to be highly vaccinated, tend to be cautious. We put rules in place. It's not like you're walking into the grocery store or, you know, exactly. somewhere, you know, 7-Eleven, yeah. <laughs> you know, people wearing masks. <laughs> Not to bash 7-Eleven. Um, but yeah. <laughs> no, but there's a whole case to be made that, hey, we've studied this out of this. We learned. We proved we could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's why we want to be at the table differently because, again, the value of keeping all of this going during a crisis is even more important than before, you could argue. Where are your clients at in terms of monetizing a digital experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think they're still, you know, all over the board based on the audience um, and based on their goals. What I think they have gotten out of it is the the need and understanding for a 365-day digital strategy, which then allows us to kind of pull some part things apart differently, package them differently, and then therefore price them differently. So I think that's been the big win out of this. The can we 
reach our financial objectives by digitizing an existing event now, big event now, that I don't think anyone has kind of cracked yet from the standpoint of A, the experience, and then how you kind of equalize that from a revenue standpoint. That's still a struggle. Yeah, yeah. No doubt about it. So, you know, moving on to how associations are surviving these challenges. Mm. One of the things that I had heard in the industry is that some associations are getting IATA numbers. So they basically are entitled to commissions for business booked. Is this a new (laughs) thing? Is this an old thing? Is this quiet, quiet thing? I think it's a I think it's a, a, a rebound thing from the standpoint that, you know, this really got started, gee, now I'd say almost 15 years ago when IATA kind of said to everybody in the business in travel industry, you're not going to get a commission from us unless you're a registered IATA agent. And that was through through them uh, on their standpoint and whoever was routing through them. Very similar to what Marriott did years later, kind of said, nope, you've got to be registered with us in this certain category or you're not going to get it. So, but IATA is kind of the grandfather of this globally. Um, so then this question- What does IATA of, um, stand for, just to- uh, The International Air Transport Association. Right. Okay, thank you. So, you know, the original intent of both of these, obviously, was to reward the kind of old line business customer that was consolidating business and was made it easier for the airlines to do business or the easier made it easier for the Marriott's to do business that you were representing more than just one entity. Then somewhere along the way, I think either they got sloppy meeting the Marriott's and the IATA's weren't clearly enough checking that the people who were requesting were actually meeting the definition of who they wanted mm-hmm. because, or they've created some new categories that none of us are necessarily aware of, but they've made that decision internally because you'd look at that and say, well, why would an association qualify like a meeting management company or a travel agency when we're clearly dealing with much more business than just one one meeting, one client, if you will. So I'm not sure kind of, well, they're making that decision, right? With IATA saying, if you don't have a number with us, you're not getting it, but yet they're kind of letting, I guess, anybody get a number. Okay, and is this something that a lot of associations are doing? I think if, if, the, if the word is out and the scramble for revenue is on, Um, And the word is out that, hey, you can qualify for more commissions than you might otherwise have been entitled to if you have an IATA number, you know, and you're an association doing a fair amount of business, whether that's, you know, multiple meetings, working with different airlines big enough to do that, then I think you'd be silly not to say, is this a revenue stream I should be taking a look at? And then it comes back to who's policing it, right? Is, is this the intent of what IATA had in mind? Do they actually qualify under IATA rules? And in, in which case, if they do, hey, fair's fair, go get what you can get. So meanwhile, it's a, it's a gray area. <laughs> yeah. And uh, probably going to need to be resolved one way or the other. Yeah. Right. But I think, the, I think what also this speaks to is I think the pressure is going to continue in terms of the pressure on commissions across the board, as kind of our industry goes through whatever the fallout from all of this is going to be, I think there's going to be an additional squeeze on on revenue all the way around, because we just know what we know, right? We know what's happening to airlines. We know what's going to happen to hotel companies as a result of corporations that have already said, we're not coming back into the same T 
and e profile that we had pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So there's business that's going to drop out of here. So in that scramble for revenue, I think things are going to tighten up around who gets paid a commission and for what all over again. Right. Right. What else are associations looking at in terms of finding new areas of revenue? Yeah, well, I think the I think the more exciting thing out of this is kind of, you know, the the crisis has forced some organizations to really look differently at all of their events and their products and services. And so part of it is this issue around digitalization, but I think even more interesting is really getting more granular mm-hmm. about who who can we serve, who do we serve, and who can we serve with what we have? And or what could we incrementally add that would then bring us a different audience or a different price point, which means we can peel back the onion. And rather than thinking we're going to clump it all together in annual meeting and boom, there it is. Now let's look at what are we actually selling or what are we actually providing who actually wants it, what's a fair price point that they're willing to pay for it, and how do they want it delivered? And I think that's that becomes a way more interesting kind of now to go back through your catalog of products and services and really understand your audience much better and then do a recalibration. So I think that's number one. Then I think number two is this whole issue around collaborations and around realizing because of limited resources, yet we still need to provide benefits and services to our stakeholder base, should we be talking to another organization, a sister organization, somebody we haven't thought about before about helping us deliver on either a piece of our mission or deliver on a product or service that would be a benefit to our members. So I think there's a a kind of opening of the, the mind and being able to look around at the board level and say, gee, who else should we be talking to? And once you start down that road, I think all sorts of other interesting things can come out of that. Right. So more collaboration for yes. the benefit of both parties. Yep. And that happens at all levels, right? That can happen with sister nonprofit organizations. That can happen with fundraising or funding organizations. can happen with exhibitors and sponsors. So there's lots of ways that that can play out um, that I think once you start those conversations again, that's where some of the excitement and some of the new opportunity and innovation is going to come from. And are you seeing that happening or is, are we at the just the beginning of that? I think we're at the beginning, but I think what we're what the divide is going to be is you had some, I would say, 3% of the associations that had been living in that space already and right. really operating at a fundamentally different level than kind of everybody else. Now, I think you see this kind of new cohort coming through, and it may still only be 10 or 15% at this stage that have kind of both the the strategic bandwidth and the kind of staffing bandwidth to be able to play this all out, be able to engage those conversations, keep everybody up to speed, make decisions with some agility, and be really clear on what it is we're trying to accomplish here and have that well-documented and then start actually implementing it. That's another you know subset, but I think that movement is going to be significant. And in industries where there are multiple associations, I think those that can do that quicker are going to be the winners in the long haul. Right. So industries with multiple associations includes the meetings and events industry. Any thoughts on, on how the associations in our industry can better serve our industry by collaborating? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Well, you know, and I obviously have been involved in this industry now for 35, close to 40 years and on, on many sides that I've sat at the board level of some of our international organizations, the board level, you know, locally. And I think the answer to that is yes. And I think, I think we as members have to hold our leadership's feet to the fire and say, find ways to do it. And I think that's up to us as members. And frankly, I think you are going to, again, the pressure is going to come from our sponsors. Mm-hmm. who I think are going to say, we're not going to do the same thing right. across the board for all these, or we just can't do it anymore. So you all either figure out a way to do it together, or we're going to start picking and choosing. Now, we've been saying that's going to happen for a while. Frankly, sponsors have been threatening that for a while. It hasn't necessarily happened yet, but I think the time is coming. I'm hearing a little bit of that from suppliers that we're just going to do this show or just yep. these two events instead of putting everything on the calendar. I, I think they have to, right? Uh, they just don't have the resources and won't have the resources. And I suspect this is going to come when you look at, A, the hotel companies that are going to get squeezed. Once corporate drops out 20, 25% of their events, it's a whole new ball game for hotels. We know the funding squeeze that's happened to most of our DMOs, certainly here in the in the North America. That's going to be, again, part of the, part of the game impacting them. So I think it's going to come from them because they're going to be forced to it by revenue shortfalls from what they're used to, to going to have to pick and choose. Right, right. So the strong will survive. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the flexible will survive. Exactly, know? right. Or the in- most innovative, the most agile, um, you know, are going to be the ones that can take advantage of this, I think, for the for the long haul. Well, mm. it's, uh, it's an interesting time, to say the very least. Truly. Yeah. Anything else to add? I think just internationally, I think we're still haven't yet seen the full impact and we won't for another five years of the supply chain moves that and growing nationalism that are happening in the trade space that I think is going to have an impact on the international association space. There's no way it can't. Right. It's going to be an interesting year. And as always, I appreciate you, you giving us some insight into what's happening now in the industry. So Great, Lori. I'll look forward to seeing you face-to-face somewhere along the line and buying you a cocktail. All right. Sounds good. All right, Lauren. Take care. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.